This episode, it's my pleasure to be joined by Charlie Cornforth. Charlie is a researcher, theatre maker, creative practitioner, and all-round awesome human. They are the genius behind Crumbling Rocks Theatre in Plymouth, Devon, which seeks to respond to issues around unhealthy masculinities through stage combat and other creative expressions. Charlie grew up in Yorkshire and is from a working class background. We spoke about their journey from being raised on a farm to being the first person in their family to go to university and subsequently get a first class degree, win an award, do a master's and have their work on mindfulness techniques for awareness published in the journal for performance and mindfulness. I learned a lot from this conversation and I can say the world is truly a warmer a more vibrant place for having Charlie and their new project in it. Check out Crumbling Rocks Theatre if you or someone you know could benefit from this fantastic resource and chance for self-expression, or if you know a school or youth group that would benefit from a workshop. We spent the first section of this podcast listening to a piece of music that Charlie brought in in response to an invitation I gave them. For copyright reasons, I can't play it on here, but check out the full song by Riley Ritchie entitled I Can Change. Nice. Mm. I like it. Yeah. Who's it by? It's by um, a man called Riley Ritchie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called I Can Change. And. He was actually the actor who plays Grey Worm in Game of Thrones. Ah, okay. Yeah. I have to admit, I'm not a Game of Thrones fan. That's completely <laughs> understandable. <laughs> Just because I, I can't I can't keep up, but yeah. I'm sure it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's, a, he's an actor. Yeah, he's an actor. He's kind of uh, done a number of performances. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also kind of got a really lovely uh, music album out. Mm. that he talks about a lot of his own journeys through masculinity and his emotions and kind of uh, going through that. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Cool. I love the, there was a line in it, something like, I'm not a, I'm not a bad guy, but I'm still going to like, I can't remember exactly, I'm paraphrasing, but like, I'm not a bad guy, but I'm still going to knock you out, essentially. Yeah, I mean, the the entire, that entire song particularly is Mm. really interesting um, because it kind of talks about the, the, both the pressures of uh, masculine identity and and kind of the performances Mm. Mm. of masculine identity. You know, it kind of oscillates nicely between you know, um, you know, I'm I'm really emotional and uh, I'm feeling lots of things and also don't come near me because mm. uh, I'll knock you out. <laughs> mm. 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 It's, it's sort of the yeah the word that's coming into my head is like fragility, mm. the fragility of that identity. Yeah, is that it's 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 out of control and it swings between those those pendulums and it's actually uh, yeah it's not as it's not as in control. Yeah, as it as it proposes. Yeah, completely. I mean, um, masculinity is a very kind of fragile place, um, and it builds itself on that kind of illusion of solidness and fixedness, mm. but it's forever falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and forever morphing. Yes. 
ever changing, mm. you know, ever adapting, ever shifting, you know, kind of um, uh, if we was to use a moment from the theory, you know, uh, our good friend Judith Butler would say that, you know, gender is a fluid thing. But so it's funny how kind of masculinity always works in the opposition to gender fluidity. Mm. Because, it, you know, when you think about masculinity um, or what we call heteronormative masculinity, it's very traditional fixed values. You know, you have to be strong, you have to be tough, you have to be enduring, you have to be stoic, mm. you know, and these mm. are considered to be very stable pinnacles of identity. But, you know, with time and growing up and and life you know like we can never be in fixed things because one the world changes mm. you know and we ourselves change <clears throat> and also just generally if you're one thing for your entire life you know it's a bit boring <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 definitely yeah it is a bit boring it's uh, and it yeah like it's it's performative but it's also a story right like it's mm -hmm. um it's a collective story and i think that's not to like diminish its kind of potency and its very real worldness mm -hmm. but it's also it's a, it's a it's a thing that we enact daily right yeah so um this is kind of what my thesis was about uh to kind of keep jumping off judith butler um she talks about how gender is largely around the repetition of activities that produce a sense of meaning so you know for example you know you're not born strong you go to the gym and lift loads of weights until people identify that and say, oh, he's strong and he's a man. So therefore, he's a strong man, you know, and, and how much you want to dedicate yourself to that definition, you know, is up to you. Mm -hmm. um, influenced, obviously, by loads of different factors. Um, and so kind of that's largely what the narrative becomes about you know but about what it is you actually want to perform and what you communicate and kind of what a lot of my work is about um um the narrative that you don't realize you're performing or the narrative that you don't realize you're caught up in mm. you know because sometimes these narratives as you kind of suggested are bigger than us you know uh, you might think it's just about you but actually it's uh, you know more to do with your working class position or you know um your your race or you know you, the family you grew up with or the teachers you were surrounded by you know that have kind of influenced you towards engaging in that narrative and and i like to think of like traveling in that direction yeah yeah i like that it's really important to remember i think that um yeah, the, spe the specifically like the what's known as like toxic masculinity mm. in that regard can take like many forms yeah. and many guises. Mm. Um, it's kind of the way I sort of see it and I've been reading about it. And and um, and it's it's I think it's really important, like within this conversation to not like isolate people mm. from like, yeah, like working class backgrounds Um to be like you need to you need to perform this kind of healthy masculinity mm -hmm. because this is the this is like the the 
like the new way or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think like that, I think, I don't know. I don't know if that's happening because of like the internet. I mean, I'm not even sure how that's kind of playing out exactly. Um, but yeah, I feel like, like authenticity mm-hmm. within your, within your kind of selfhood, your personness, mm-hmm. like that, like that to me is the, is the goal. Yeah, completely. Like when, whenever I kind of, you know, we'll get into like what it is and what I do in a second, but like whenever I teach things, uh, I, I, and in my research, I found that a lot of this stuff wasn't new stuff to be found. It was kind of old stuff to remember, you know, um, and, you know, like, and a lot of that was in places that you think you might not found it. So you kind of mentioned about like kind of placing it on working classness, but I actually found there was so much rich, incredibly healthy masculine identities, masculinities within working class culture um, that were just completely absent from, you know, if we're going to have a conversation in terms of class, you know, like middle class or upper, you know, because it goes back to those kind of older values of kind of authenticity and, and community and community. And, exactly. And just honesty yeah. sometimes, you know, and realness and, you know, not performing. Yeah what it is you think you should be performing but just genuinely saying it how yeah. it is yeah and exactly sometimes in this world that's actually like incredibly refreshing <laughs> yeah. isn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely yeah yeah exactly and that's why it's really important not to to, to recognize that if there if there is toxic elements to masculinity that is a set of behaviors yeah. and it is not something that we are born with or yeah. born into it's like and it doesn't belong to a certain type of man yeah it is a series of behaviors yeah, it's learned. You, yeah, yeah yeah that you can change and you the sooner you let that um idea of it being pinned on your sex go you know that idea of you know i was born this way you know the easier it is to begin the next part of the journey which mm. is unlearning know because once you realize it's something you've learned it's something that can be unlearned Mm, exactly puts the power back in yeah but if you live with that notion of oh i've just you know i've born this been born this way it's in my genetics you know like how are you ever gonna undo that you know exactly um exactly so yeah 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 i think that's really important to to put that empowerment back in individuals and communities as well in that conversation um so charlie i'm really excited to talk about what it is that you do specifically Mm. within this space um so yeah tell us about crumbling rock theater yeah um well thank you for having me i'm excited to have this conversation um it's nice to be able to talk about these things in such a nice public space um crumbling rocks theater is Um, a new performer training opportunity for boys and men. Um, I'm trying to cater it across the board. Um, And what it is, is um, we're using uh, acting uh, techniques, um, movement techniques and stage combat techniques to make theatre about 
toxic masculinity or the individual's experience of toxic masculinity. So I've trained um, for like 13 years in theatre, um, developing uh, what we call a multimodal practice. So I didn't, I didn't believe that, um, you know, I kind of, I started out the traditional, oh, I want to be an actor, you know, so I did all the actor training and then um, I kind of started exploring dancer training when I came to university and postmodern theatre making and live art and then stage combat. And all these practices just began lapping, overlapping and overlapping and overlapping until I realized that like um, I was really limiting myself by just wanting to be an actor or just wanting to be a dancer. And once you start to kind of unpack the world of theater making, you realize like you don't have to be one thing. You know, you can just magpie and pick and choose all these wonderful different techniques to make whatever it is you need to in that moment. Amazing, yeah. like a mosaic, yeah. like a collage. Like a, yeah, a yeah. nice mosaic collage of techniques. Um, and so I've engaged in like a really rigorous training process of, but now I'm in a position where I want to share all that with um, these men, you know, and kind of help because um, my healing journey was through that training process. Mm. And so I realized it wasn't just about training and, and getting good at theater making. It was also a healing process for me. And I, it helped me move away from a large proportion of my toxic masculinity. Um, and so that was when I had the kind of moment of, actually, this is, it's less about the final product and more about going through that training process to learn how to undo something. Right. And so Crumbling Rocks is about basically getting together, doing a bunch of theatre training um, and allowing that um, participant the opportunity to make what it is they want to make. Mm. Because one thing I found was that a lot of these men and boys as well and teens you know they all already have a narrative they all already have a song they've crafted or a piece of poetry or a dance that they want to make or a whole nine yards performance you know but they just don't quite have the the space or the push or the you know knowledge to do it and so Crumbling Rocks is about facilitating that opportunity. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, and is that why it's called Crumbling Rocks? Can you speak about the name? Yes, I'd, lo <laughs> I'd love to speak about the name. Um, so Crumbling Rocks Theatre came from two parts, two separate projects. The first one was my final performance for my BA honours degree at Plymouth Conservatoire. And that was called No Tears, Just Stone. And it's a bit of a crazy live art installation where I had a team uh, wrap my entire body in bandage bandages and then coat my entire body in cement um, and I let it dry. And then I basically stood there with a spotlight on me for three hours um, and then like an hour and a half into just standing there with all this cement on me, um, I invited the audience to pick the cement off and then 
after that kind of lovely interaction, um, I snapped all the bandages off myself. And um, what was revealed underneath was um, that the kind of the limestone in the concrete, the cement had seeped through the bandages and actually kind of quite heavily uh, damaged and burned my, my flesh, my, my body. And so kind of when the, the nudity was revealed and all the, you know, the armor had been taken off, we saw the damage that had been done underneath. Um, wow. Yeah. Did you know that was going to happen? Uh, I thought it was going to happen, yeah. Um, but it kind of came, a li- it, I didn't think it was going to happen quite as ferociously as it did. Wow. Um, I was totally fine. It was just scrapes and and, and kind of scratches and things. Um, mm. You know, nothing that a few days sleep and healing <laughs> can't, mm. can't heal from. But mm. it just became a really profound performance of like because it was about callousing emotional callousing i did a uh, a mixed martial arts project um and learned a lot about the notion of kind of emotional repression and you know if you kind of push all those emotions down they don't go away it just kind of hardens and becomes numb and and so it was about revealing that damage that's kind of being caused behind the stoic armor mm. you know so there was kind of that literal sense of crumbling mm. on one hand uh, through kind of a practical and performative exploration. Um, and then there was an article I wrote. I got a um, during kind of COVID time when we was all doing a variety of interesting hobbies and activities. Um, I decided it was a good idea to write a peer review journal article. Um, and that was exploring how um, I improvisation movement spaces. Um, so just to give a bit of context, um, I, I do a lot of dance improvisation, mainly instant composition which is basically a fancy term to basically mean how do you make work that is like your final performance um, in the moment. So it's improvised, but you treat it like it's kind of going to be your final work. And I was discovering, again, through my performer training process that um, loads of my elements of my toxic masculinity were being revealed quite extensively when engaging in these moments of improvisation um, because it's a really sensitive space it kind of amplified how these you know what these actions meant so I wrote an article on it and um, I also began speaking about how those because um, those spaces bring it into such a, a line of visibility it's equally just as possible to use those spaces to begin cultivating an undoing of it and letting go. And that article happened to be called Crumbling Rocks. Okay. <laughs> so, so over a lineage, you know, and then it, I got funded to set up the, the company. And I went through a rigorous ideas exchange and ended up coming up with Crumbling Rocks because there's a nice... It was important to me that there's a nice lineage with the name. Okay, yeah. Well, well I can definitely see that. It's yeah. Very interesting how it, you 
you kind of um, you held it up in a microscope or in a spotlight, and it was a, an area to, for you to explore, like the gentle parts of your masculinity, the toxic parts of your masculinity, the whole thing. It sounds like you really put yourself through that self experimentation, mm. um, and you're experiencing it from a very personal, but also culturally kind of relevant point of view as well. Um, is there anything? Is there any kind of like um, your own or drawing on other people's definition of toxic masculinity that you want to sort of speak about? Yeah, of course. Um, so the first thing I'd like to say is um, beginning early in researching toxic masculinity and in particularly wanting to become a practitioner who helps other men, you know, heal or recover or however you want to word it from elements of toxic masculinity it was highly important that i addressed my own first it became a really clear moment um of you know kind of make sure my bed is made before i go out and critique somebody else's um so a lot of my ba and my research masters was around me making work about my own and learning about everything I possibly could about my own journey um, because it was highly important for me to not like just read a book and then look at someone over there and go oh you know that's about them so I use autobiography and I use autoethnography um, practices research and it's all informed by uh, post-structural uh, feminism um, which is a bunch of terms to basically mean like I go and do it so you know um, and it's informed by academic theory so Amazing. like an example is you know instead of just reading about MMA uh, mixed martial arts uh, culture you know the kind of your, your Conor McGregor kind of masculine identity uh, I went and trained at Czech Matt Plymouth for about three years and I even ended up doing a ultra MMA fight for charity in, in prism <laughs> you know and well prism is the local club sweaty nightclub in plymouth yeah so <laughs> yeah um okay wow but it, it cultivated a really interesting turning point in fact the opening of my thesis is um the referee you know brings us into the ring and yeah i come face to face with my opponent and i look at him and the gloves are on and we're we're about to tap gloves and start beating each other up and i look at him and i go oh i really don't want to hurt this man right now <laughs> wow <laughs> you know and so yeah. it became so about like how do i how did i get to this yeah. point <laughs> yeah of, like wanting to be the next conor mcgregor which is a syndrome a lot of men mm. go through mm, mm. but then also learning you actually really don't like hurting people <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the like the hook of the journey like the hook of the process yeah is like taking you for a ride yeah until you've arrived and then that that is kind of like what i imagine is like the the the, the pinnacle of the process is 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 the fight mm. 
and then you've yeah, arrived the, at that moment. The, the affirmation, yeah, you know, of, of that's you know when the kind of the warrior goes to war and becomes the warrior. You know? yeah, yeah. And I had that moment of like, I'm the warrior now, yeah. and like, oh, I don't like being the warrior. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I like the training. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. the bits. Yeah, was it was it that then? Do you think is it was it the it was all those bits around it? It was the structure around mm. it that gave it the meaning. Yeah, the actual act of hurting someone else. And how did you get through that fight, by the way? Yeah, it was an interesting experience um, and it it cultivated, actually, it kind of gave me my own form of crisis. You know, Mm. it kind of ripped me apart at the time because I spent a long time training for that moment, you know, and was all of a sudden kind of had to reconsider who I wanted to be, you know, as a person, which is completely fine you know and and completely nothing but a good thing to happen mm. um so um y- yeah so it was about kind of researching mm. but it it ended up with that was and arguably the most valuable point of the research and i didn't throw a single punch in the fight i relied on my brazilian jiu jitsu and just kind of did grapples and holds and kind of ch- chokes. Um, but thankfully, it ended in a really nice result. We drew. Wow. Which I thought, like, in terms of results of, like, win or loss and warriorship and stuff, was like, you couldn't have picked a better result for... Wow, I wonder if... That epiphany, you know, as well, you know, it was like, oh. It's like, yeah. Felt if It kind of feels like, uh, I don't know, somehow maybe, like if you are having those thoughts, like that's a very different thought to like, I am going to win this. Mm. You weren't necessarily interested in winning. Like no. you were interested in like getting like the experience of it from a research yeah. perspective. Yeah. So it's almost like it, it was kind of, yeah, kind of in a way unsurprising that you drew because you, your mentality wasn't like, I'm going to beat this guy. Yeah. It was like, it was more about what surviving. is this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what know. is going on? Yeah, <laughs> what is actually happening? Like, oh, oh. And I kind of talk about it in the thesis, the notion of like, just as he brings this together, I realise that this is no longer a performance. You know, like kind of right up until that moment, it was a performance of masculine identity. And this is a really, really common and classic thing that, happens in experiences of toxic masculinity um which will i realize i haven't explained that definition and we'll get to that in a moment but the idea of oh i want to become something because in films and television or people i've seen you know they're that's attractive you know um for in a number of ways so i'm going to work really hard at becoming that but there's a moment when it becomes mainly around that moment of affirmation you know, kind of, there becomes a moment when it's, you realise it's not a performance. It's a, it's a something real. And especially if you're constructing around your identity around, say, wanting to be the next Conor McGregor, there's a moment when you're going to have to step in a ring and you're going to have to hurt someone. And yes, that might be consented, you know, but it's still, you're going to have to stand on top of them and, and punch them into the ground you know yeah. and then that calls your own self your own character into question 
It certainly did for me. Other people are fine with it. Other people love it, and that's their thing, and they feel they're, they're made for that. And, you know, I'm not saying there's necessarily something wrong with that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it happens in other contexts, say, like, gang culture. You know, you might spend your life wanting to be a gangster, but there becomes a moment when you might have to have a very unpleasant interaction with another gang member or the police, you know. And it's those moments when you go, oh... This isn't a performance. This has just kind of ruined my life. <laughs> wow, yeah. You know, or, that's or, a very good point. Something like that. So it's the transference mm. from performance into, into reality. Reality, yeah. 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 Wow, like, I, I don't think I've ever considered that that process and, and how it also manifests like in, in minute ways on much <laughs> yeah. less grander scales, like even just like you know oh, i want to like i want to be successful i want to get that job i want to move to the city i want to like you know work nine hour days and then you know whatever like mm. that narrative as well is another thing that's permeating mm. through our culture in yeah. a, ve- a very kind of well yeah yeah and you're really right because but then next thing you know you've pushed your family away mm. and you've pushed your partner away and, mm. and you've you've moved to a city and you've pushed all your friends away because you don't have you know you've moved to a new city and yeah. you know and so you're right it, it might, it's not just a, a macro thing it's a micro thing you know even if uh, we was kind of before we began this we was talking about having little grumbles yeah. you know yeah. like how do those little grumbles add up into something real yeah. you know like oh, I'm just angry I'm just angry I'm just angry and then you shout at someone and oh all of a sudden that's mm. left your brain now and now <laughs> you're dealing with consequences of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of, uh, of that yeah that anger that's certainly like uh, yeah can, the, the time that it takes for the anger to kind of like well up in the body and the brain and the time it takes for it to subside, like it's not very long at all. Mm. Um, how you respond to that in within those emotions kind of is everything. And having that having that awareness that's passing through you. Yeah. I feel like that's what um I feel like that's what you're you're doing with your project, even though I don't know too much about it. It's like mm. how do we pass these things through us, whether from an artistic point of view or mm. a movement point of view. Yeah. And like like you said, like all of those boys and those men, they have a story to tell mm. and just in the same way that everyone has a story to tell. And that's that's why I think it's really cool what you're doing, because it's it's yeah. embodying those mm. stories and it's letting those emotions pass through. You're really right about that. Um, and one thing we talk about um, or I do a lot of work on is the idea of the framework of expression or the the possibilities for uh, emotional expression um because you know in um cultures and areas of toxic masculinity um how men are conditioned to think they're allowed to express themselves are very limited you know, and we're talking about exactly what you think, like wall punches or drinking 20 pints or, you know, um, running off and driving really fast somewhere. You know, um, those are kind of considered acceptable, but just kind of having a cry in public. Oh, no, couldn't do that. Oh, no. You know, or maybe just punching a pillow instead of a wall or um, my favorite one is um, I often encourage them to have um, 
a dance like they're in Footloose. You know, when he goes to the warehouse and he's feeling really angry and emotional, but he kind of, instead of going and hurting someone, he just really dances it out. And, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, until it's kind of left his body. Exactly. You know, exactly. and and so it's about again providing them tools. You know, how to, yeah, mm. uh, you know, maybe direct that, like convert that um, negative energy into something more positive uh, I don't really like to use the word productive but you know like kind of instead of maybe punching a wall maybe just bang out a set of yoga you know or, mm. <laughs> or which is easy to say but doing is mm. a totally different thing and so you know Rome wasn't built in a day and sometimes it might start from punching a pillow instead of a wall and six months, nine months later, it's like, you know, every time I'm angry, I can just bang out a set of yoga. Mm, exactly. You know? It's like having a story around what it is that you're doing. I, th I feel like mm. if you can, if you can frame, I know for, for, for me, for example, like it, if I can frame it like within my mind, this is a positive thing. This is a positive affirmation of, yeah. of passing that energy through. Yeah. Then, then it can, then it doesn't really matter what those thoughts and feelings were five minutes ago because now they're different mm. and that and that in itself i feel like is a process of of healing because it's like uh okay yeah i'm actually i'm going to feel differently pretty soon yes and, <laughs> and it's, it's not the end it's not the be all and end or whatever i'm experiencing right now exactly that's such a it's such a big part of it is knowing that this absolute storm I'm feeling right now is only ever temporary, you know, and there are things you can do to redirect that storm, you know, um, because, you know, you can let it like completely destroy your house as a metaphor <laughs> yeah. or, or literally know, yeah <laughs> or literally you know yeah. or you can encourage it towards the field you know yeah. and kind of yeah. let it destroy nothing yeah you know but let it create yeah yeah and maybe turn into something wonderful mm. you know and uh, again you know that's why i make the artwork i make mm. because um it's about you know because i i'm not i'm not perfect you know i still i still get angry mm. you know i still have storms i still go through very negative times mm. you know mm. um this isn't ever me mm. saying you know well i'm completely healed and so now you must listen to me you know it, yeah. it's not that it's saying like i also have been through this a lot and i've kind of come out the other side of it Mm, mm. I'm still not perfect, but I know a lot of techniques now to mm. kind of help redirect, reshift, mm, you know. Beautiful. And so, yeah. That's beautiful. So we talk about what we mean by toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah let's hear what, yeah, some of the definitions that you've got kind of through your experience and through mm. what you've picked up from others. Awesome. I just wanted to apply a kind of really clear definition to it because there's a lot of stigma around the term toxic masculinity and you know i never ever want this to seem like a men's rights thing you know it's because there's a really clear definition that i like to use and it's a gender practice that brings harm to the individual or others around them hmm. so i i don't actually like to use the term toxic masculinities i like to use the term unhealthy masculinities because we have that clear link to health 
mm. and wellness. Well, okay? yeah. Because, um, again, to refer to the stigma of the term toxic, they think, you know, like, the whole of masculine identity is toxic and wrong and broken, when, like, it's not that. It's just the fact that your current gender identity is actually causing a lot of suffering in you, you know, mm. and a lot of pain and a lot of hardship that with a few changes doesn't need to really be there, mm. you know? And Love and that reframing of it to health. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what it's about. And I just always have to say that. Because I never want to, it's not for me about telling men that, you know, they're wrong or they're toxic, you know. It's about just saying like, oh, you're a little bit unwell at the minute and I kind of want to heal you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah I, I think that's a, it's a very gentle reframing of that quite harsh word, toxic. Yeah. Um, kind of hate that word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I, I think it's like, it's it's interesting how it's become stigmatized because I think yeah, it was originally used to differentiate between the more positive parts of masculinity and the more negative parts. The negative parts being the toxic parts, and the positive parts being the rest of masculinity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's 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 easy to forget that. You know, this is just one teeny small sector of masculine identity. You know, there's an incredibly rich and beautiful tapestry of masculine identity out there. You know, um, in gender theory, we can only talk about the term masculinities. We can no longer talk about masculinity because it's not singular. You know, every single man is different and has different things and cares about different things and the sooner you realize that you know the mm. the easier it is to start letting go of these what we talked about at the beginning you know all that fixedness and mm. solidness and yeah 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 wow i, I haven't come across that masculinities mm. um that's um, Rowan Connell for anyone who wants to study them. <laughs> um, that's another kind of uh, Judith Butler and Rowan Connell kind of work hand in hand together in terms of gender theory. But she has a book called Masculinities. And for any young budding gender studies, masculinity, well-being academic, you know, it's kind of one of the first ones you pick up uh, to, to learn okay. about. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so throughout this work, are there any moments that scare you? Lots and lots. thought that might be the answer. There's been loads. The first one that always comes to mind is what we just spoke about, the moment where I stepped into the ring and was like, mm. oh, God. <laughs> you know? <laughs> the other one is I uh, have a low-key thing that I've been writing about for a while and I call it the Darth Vader concept and it's the notion of becoming the very thing you swore to destroy you know so there's lots of moments when when I have my moments of slippage when you know I do get angry and I shout at someone or you know I do perhaps uh, go off the rails and kind of perhaps maybe drink too much or, or whatever you know I kind of fall back into my old ways um you know, I kind of 
have, I call it a Darth Vader moment of, you know, you're meant to be better than this. But it also reminds me that I am just still a human being and I'm not a perfect yeah. human. And <laughs> yeah. I still do make all these errors. Um, mm-hmm. so I like that. I like yeah. that. I like also really like giving it like a villain like th- title <laughs> yeah because it like it holds it there fixed in your mind doesn't it 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 really does yeah. yeah um because like now having developed the practice that i have i do have a responsibility you know to kind of i guess at least try and be better mm. you know um not than anyone else but just try and be a better version of myself yeah you know it's not about being it's not about hierarchy it's just about giving justice and credit to myself you know and uh, making sure i'm not letting those toxic narratives win sure you know on my myself yeah yeah that like sorry were you about to say something no go, go ahead um just that like um that notion of um like those moments where you're like oh yes, I am still, like, I'm still human. I'm trying hard, and, like, sometimes I'm getting it right, and sometimes I'm, I'm not. And, like, I think those are, like, really important to have those humbling moments. And I, something along my journey has been to realise that, like, like this, this, this stuff around um, masculinities, around uh, the unhealthy aspects of my personality, around mm. um, the unhealthy aspects of the society, like it's not going away yeah and like i can i can like point myself in the in the like right direction mm. but i think when i acknowledge that there's no like point that i arrive to where i'm like ah like now i am a healthy man <laughs> yeah. now i like, you know there's what is that? it's just yeah it's just like it's just like a kind of um yeah like we spoke about in the beginning like a kind of mosaic of experiences that are that are like kind of peppered throughout time in a kind of like dot to dot Mm. and like we are in charge of linking those experiences together and we are in charge of making sense of them yeah and 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 here we are again today and you know here we are again now and we are just trying to kind of find find our footing or like what does it mean today completely and we're kind of coming to now um a key moment which i i write a lot about and i speak a lot about which is arguably the the one of the most important steps on the journey and that is the notion of ownership and just beginning to accept and take responsibility for um your unhealthy masculine traits i guess you know it's about listening you know and just saying you know like if you're really grumpy and you feel like you need to hit a wall you know maybe just issue warnings and things and saying look i'm really sorry i'm kind of almost blind with rage you know i I need you to all kind of leave me alone for a minute you know um mainly so that i don't hurt you you know um and going back to that notion of hurting yourself and others it's about owning that as like you know say like particularly say lad culture you know we can fall into this routine of like just smashing beers you know and, and excessive drinking and excessive drug use and sometimes it's about owning things like 
actually I'm I'm doing a lot of running away at the minute and I need to sit with myself for a bit and not run away and actually kind of ask the question why am why am I running away mm. you know and some people it's they have a really clear sense of why or what it is they're running away from and others it's more complex for some that uh, want to invest in those ideal narratives of masculinity some it's about well I just wanted to be a cool kid <laughs> you know like sometimes so much of this isn't you know like trauma or really horrible things sometimes it's just like well i just wanted to be the next conor mcgregor <laughs> you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or just like yeah yeah or, or whatever even if it's not muscly like i just wanted to be like really intelligent i just yeah. wanted people to like respect me yeah i just wanted and there's nothing wrong with yeah. wanting those things mm. necessarily you know like as you said wanting to be respected mm. wanting to be admired wanting to be loved and stuff but like Often you find that if you're falling into those narratives that you're not even achieving that anyway. Right. Yeah. So... There we go. That's the thing, isn't it? That's <laughs> yeah, you're you're becoming like further from yeah that goal it's taking you further <laughs> away yeah. from being loved or being admired yeah or especially being respected like you know how many lad culture environments have you been in where you felt respected <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah um, like where you can you can speak your voice and you can say how you feel without it being turned into a joke yeah yeah, and just to just to kind of add a definition of lad culture, I mean, it's kind of a lot of people know what lad culture is, but it's generally a social space of boys that and men that works in direct opposition to feminism. So they'll they'll celebrate things like misogyny and racism and homophobia, you know. So they'll they'll use like uh, it's quotes like "oh, don't be gay" as an offensive thing rather than a celebration mm -hmm. you know um uh so yeah that's yeah. kind of yeah. what we're talking about here and kind of excessive alcohol and drug taking and blah 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 blah. yeah absolutely yeah thank you for giving that quick definition um so did you find mentors in your journey that helped you through um this process and enabled you to have a healthier relationship with your emotions really great question um, I will say one thing that is a complete fact, and that is I am only where I am today because of my mentors, because at every available opportunity, I went up to who I perceived could be a good mentor and I bothered them, you know, and I and um, their opinion of me meant everything to me, you know, and and I would you know work a hundred hours a week if it meant that I could just get a one bit of extra knowledge from those mentors so the, the answer is is yes you know and, and kind of at every training period in my life whether that was kind of GCSE drama or my working at a youth theatre in Halifax or um, kind of coming to university and having a specific lecturer take me under their wing you know um or even, you know, having, getting in a relationship, you know, like all of, or even like my mom, you know, like all of these people fed into this journey, you know, and it, 
so much of it is about just explaining to them the journey you want to take and saying, can you help me? You know, and often, you know, if they, they see that little, sometimes they might be reluctant because um, if a lot of them have kind of been burned in the past and, you know, kind of, if they don't see that twinkle in your eye, if you don't see that you're serious about, you know, really wanting to take that knowledge and use it, then they kind of won't give it to you. But if they, if you really prove to them that, you know, look, I really want to go somewhere with this and take it, and I'll give you the world, mm. you know. And mm. so, I am, yeah, I'm only as far as I am now with that because I've had so many tremendous mentors in my life. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with going to someone who you think has the knowledge and the tools you need and just annoying the shit out of them. Mm. <laughs> so just really, really um, bothering them, asking them, you know, can I shadow you, you mm. know? Mm. Take me under your wing and yeah. give me the tools to know how you know, yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah, there's a kind of devoid space for mentors, like, in the mm. broader culture. Yeah. Um, it's something that's kind of fading, mm. as we, especially as we get into kind of <clears throat> school territory of, like, we can't really necessarily have mentors anymore because teachers are different to mentors, yeah? Because mentors... Like, like teachers can't always tell you really what I call really useful negative things. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of have to do positive reinforcement. Well done. You did really well. Good job. You know, blah, blah, blah. Keep going. Maybe don't do that. Whereas a mentor will like kind of like, uh, you know, sometimes they'll take the what I like to call like the Gordon Ramsay route. You know, where they'll say like, you know, they'll say something really real to you. You know, like if you don't stop you know, you're going to end up in the ground, you know. Yeah. And, like, sometimes a, a teacher can't say that, but a mentor can. Yeah. And those are the real bits that can really shift, again, your narrative, you know. Or if they say, you know, if you stay in this town, you're going to be wasted. Go to Plymouth or, you know, go to London or go to Bristol, you know. And, mm -hmm. and you know, that's not always necessarily the right answer, but a lot sure. of the time they'll give you that, really difficult thing that you don't want to hear sure but that you need to hear mm. you know and um there's a there's an old um kind of bit of uh, an old saying that my dad taught me i grew up on a farm i grew up working class in there and so there's a bit of a saying that i um have taken with me my entire life and it's the and it's sometimes you have to be cruel to be kind yeah i like that yeah, I've come across that myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that kind of. It's not what you want to hear, is it? It's what you need no. to hear sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And you know, they're not perfect. Mentors mm. are not perfect. Mm. You know, I've had a lot of trouble with some of my mentors, mm. and they have sometimes exacerbated, you know, my problems mm. rather than help solve them. Like. Interesting. You know, mentors are not perfect. Wait, could you give an example of a time where that that's developed into maybe kind of like more of a negative self-talk or a negative yeah. kind of... Sometimes you their opinion becomes uh, everything to you. Mm. And so I kind of mentioned that notion of working 100 hours a week mm. just for their approval. Yeah. You know... 
And sometimes they just won't give it you. Mm. So, you know, sometimes you're just absolutely working and working and working and constructing your entire positive mental health around them just turning around to you and saying, good job. Mm. And so, you know, like when they don't give you that good job, well, that's a big spiral there, <laughs> you know, and that I've, I've had some really poor mental health in the past just because um, I've not been able to please my mentors mm. because I was, you know, going on this journey and everything. So, you know, it cultivate feelings of failure, which is so common in masculine identity, you know, and I can talk about feelings of failure until the cows come home. Because, you know, and imposter syndrome and, and all these kind of things. And so, like, yeah, so mentors are great, but mm. they can just as equally really damage you. you mm. know? And so whilst mentors are really good, it's also important to know when to leave your mentor and perhaps find a new mentor or even just go it alone for a bit. And yeah. go, you know what? Actually, I've been mentored enough now. Yeah. Now is the time for me to... Yeah, you know, go yeah. my own way. It's a valuable lesson because there comes a stage, and it's not necessarily the end of the journey, but it's a process maybe in the journey where you have to kind of establish your boundaries. Yeah, um, and that was another thing I wanted to talk about mm. in relation to masculinities um, and establish your narrative and mm. say like, okay. I see that, I see your point of view, and there is some truth in it, mm. Um, mm. but I believe this is what would be best now. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. You're really onto something there. Mm. Um, a huge turning point in kind of this journey of healthy masculinities, and go going back to the notion of ownership, is owning exactly what it is or who it is you are and what you want and stepping away from these larger narratives of what say society thinks you should be or what the cool kids think you should be or what even your teachers think you should be your parents think you should be you know there's so many different sources film television theater role models blah 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 telling you how you should be and some and the biggest affirmation you can be you can do sometimes is just walk away from all of it and say well you know what you want me to be this big thing but i'm just not I actually just really enjoy sitting in a woodland mm -hmm. and reading a book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And so I'm, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I'm not going to go to band practice. Or, yeah, and I'm yeah. not going to go to football practice. Or yeah. I'm not going to go and lift a thousand potatoes for yeah. you. <laughs> whatever, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Society or whatever is expecting of you. Or go drink a hundred beers. Mm. You know, that's the other one. You know, like... Um, it becomes a pivotal turning point when, you know, like, especially around lad culture and our age, you know, like kind of 18 to 25. It's that moment when, you know, you start saying no to your, your kind of uh, more laddie mates, you yeah. know, and we're like, come out, come have beers, come get wrecked. And it's like, 
Actually, no. Mm. I'm actually going to run a hot bath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and put a candle on yeah. and just like really yeah, get snuggly. All, yeah, get, get all get, snuggly get buggly. Your, get your onesie on. Yeah. Your dressing gown. Oh, I got some new slippers the other day. Untold yeah. amounts of joy. Slippers. Yeah. <laughs> slippers are great. Like the incense, yeah. you know, put on the Disney film or whatever. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, that's it. And, yeah, and, and you find and it's just about cultivating that true sense of happiness yeah, you know yeah, and, yeah. and it's like because like in, in especially in those laddie spaces there's so much pretending again mm. going back to performing you know mm. it's like you know you see everyone like smashing drinks and stuff and it's like you see it's a pretend happiness you know it's like mm. yeah we're all having a really good time but you, you can almost see a tear falling <laughs> yeah. out of your eye yeah. you know and, well, it's, yeah. and it's like well it's not happening when I'm in my bath no. yeah. <laughs> you know I've got my book and, yeah. <laughs> and, and the, candles and there's something to be said there as well for like just like the kind of the, the peace in the kind of like more levelness mm. like I've been trying to give up caffeine recently. Yeah. And it's like just trying to have like a little bit more of a level rather than these like peaks of like tension and focus and then crashes. You know, and it's the same for like how you deal with those negative emotions. Like, mm. like, yeah, recognizing, recognizing the pain and being like, ah, uh, uh, actually, like, I, yeah, I could dampen this down with like the really, ex- the really extreme of alcohol. Yeah. Because I feel like that's kind of what alcohol does. It like, pitches a, a a version of like extremeness of mm. of of like sense altering mm. um mm. the you know in some ways heightens emotions in some ways distances them um uh but whatever it is it's like it's quite a it's quite like an all encompassing experience um I and yeah i kind of call them temporary fixes mm you know, whether it's kind of smoking marijuana or drinking alcohol or kind of what whatever it is. Some people do it through labor. You know, it's kind mm. of escapist culture. You know, it's like for some some people resolve it by working 100 hours or going to the gym or, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, so like it's not just like for narcotics sure. and things, but it's still the same temporary fix. Mm. You know, it's it's a brief respite from what's underneath yeah and so like a lot of the time you kind of i think you kind of have a a choice you know you can either travel towards it or travel away from it Mm. and so sometimes the best thing you can do is just sit with that Mm. thing and Mm. actually i'm i'm not gonna go out tonight Mm. and run away from it i'm gonna sit and kind of you know get all my boxes out and start trying to unpack things and be like why do I feel this way? <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. sometimes that's just the best. It's a difficult question to ask, yeah. and it's not always the best one. Mm. You know, sometimes the better question is what's informing this. You know, mm. right? Because the question why, when it comes to emotions, it's like, how do you explain why you feel something? You know, like yeah, very challenging. Like. Um, we met through a like a youth work training session yeah. um and there's only instantly that we that we that we know each other through that yeah. um and it was really cool uh it was a really cool session on um speech and language and um 
the the question uh, something that somebody said on that training was like the question how are you yeah is sometimes like really reductive like i don't know how i am yeah like i don't know even how to put that into words yeah and if um, you're negotiating a complete whirlwind of emotions like trying to ex pull all this strands out and explain them individually is like a monumental task yeah absolutely so we we spoke in that session didn't we about kind of using the weather to describe how you're feeling and stuff you know i'm like i'm just a bit stormy today mm. i'm a bit foggy mm. you know which kind of some tells you everything you need to know yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah yeah and again like it's shifting and changing mm. maybe it's mm. by the end of the day you'll be a sunset on a crisp beach Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> that's what we hope for <laughs> yeah um so what unique ways does stage combat facilitate masculine healthy masculine relationships yeah it's 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 an interesting one it's kind of for me it's kind of like a way in you know because uh a lot of uh <laughs> it's it's tricky because um you know the hardest step of these journeys is the ownership step and the first step in through the door and um i realized that a few things i've attended recently and some of the people i've worked with is like the kind of the what i like to term as the happy-go-lucky theater maker technique you know very up there and warm and yeah lovely they hate that they, you know, they got such clouds and boulders and, and negotiating such things that, like, that is the worst possible thing they could experience, you know, um, attend in the, in that current mind frame. So I kind of stage combat is a really nice, accessible way in. I use a, a style known as play fight practice. So it is like, it it is... You jumping on those traits of like violence and strength and toughness and kind of the characters of ideal masculinity but it's closer to a dance than a fight um and in that i can use situations like that to teach moments so um for example one of the practices i'll do is you know, a falling and picking back up exercise where, you know, you're kind of having a, having a duel and your friends, maybe one of you's won and they've dropped to the ground. But then, you know, you offer out your hand and you pick your partner back up, you know, and so it's kind of, and then we have a conversation there of like, how did it feel to have a hand put out to you and for you to know that you can grab that hand and trust it and it will bring you back up to your feet. You know, so we have dialogues through it. It's kind of a device that cultivates dialogues. Mm. In the other context, I use it as a point of education. So I'll, sometimes I like to make them do the scene, um, act three, scene one from Romeo and Juliet, where kind of Tybalt gets too angry and he ends up, you know, they get in a big street brawl and he ends up murdering Mercutio. You know, he stabs him. <laughs> And I kind of use that as a scene to talk about the potential consequences of a street fight, you know, because I know people um, or I know people or friends of friends, you know, that are actually have gone to jail because they threw one punch on a night out. 
but unfortunately that person hit the floor with their head and died. So, you know, all it takes sometimes is that one moment of weakness, you know, of letting that angry man release to potentially ruin, you know, your life forever. Mm. And it kind of shows it in Romeo and Juliet, you know, because it all goes it all goes wrong from then onwards. So we kind of use the, the safeness of stage combat to address the potentially what could be severely dangerous. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. I really like that. It's kind of like in like outdoor education stuff and youth work stuff, like there's mm. been projects addressing knife crime through the use of safe knife Practices. Yes, exactly. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a vaccine. Yeah, you have like a small bit of the, of the of the problem, and you use that as like a tonic to understand and move through. I've never thought about it like that, but I absolutely love that analogy. Um, yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> it's quite a political one, maybe at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so. What cultural factors exacerbate toxic masculinity, would you say? External cultural factors. We've spoke about quite a few. but uh, Yeah, I mean, that's a really rich question. Um, one that uh, is, you know, kind of in, has an entire PhD's worth of explanation attached to it. So um, I think it's about kind of messages and values. So different cultures, you know, and kind of, no, I wouldn't say any culture is exempt, you know, and um, we all kind of have our flaws. Um, but, you know, different cultures and I'm just going to I'm not going to talk about other people's cultures. I'm going to I'll just talk about my own because who am I to talk about another person's cultures? But we all have messages and values we grow up with, you know, kind of getting told over and over and over to us that influence our identity. And it's about our relationship to how we perform those messages and values. Um, so I grew up on a working class farm in Halifax, West Yorkshire. Um, so we've got farm culture, we've got working classness, we've got labour culture, and we've got York, the stereotypical embodiment of the Yorkshire man which is, you know, flat cap wearing, ah, I like what I say and I say what I bloody well like, you know, kind of kind of thing. And I grew up with, uh, they're called sex roles. Uh, it's kind of a problematic term now, but it's going back to that old school idea that it's all connected to your, your sex rather than your gender identity, you know. Um, and, you know, so the, you get in told you should be a certain way and I grew up with narratives like you know well people like us you know we don't go to university that's for like fancy lads over there you know <laughs> and so like I actually broke a big narrative of my my kind of family lineage by being the first person to go to university you know and I got a first class degree and I got an award for outstanding development you know and it was a really profound moment of kind of in, intergenerational breaking you know because we also have lineages of our generations you know well my granddad did this and my dad did this so well I might as well do this you know um, 
and to kind of be something else creates a othering and us and theming and you know you can become like a black sheep you know you can be ostracized from your own culture by choosing to not be a certain way you know so it's again yorkshire you know we all love a beer you know kind of every uh, especially our kind of lad culture you know we love our ale and everything is constructed around drinking pints you know uh, you know we work hard all day and we we love a good beer in the evening and you know so like uh, the amount of conversations i've had just around sorry i don't want a beer you what you've gone mad (laughs) lads you know and it's and it's like oh i'm sorry i just don't want a beer i want a bubble bath you are you know and it's like you've just you know you've committed a total sin (laughs) you know what about if you have an alcohol free beer does that count oh you're still gonna get ripped into for the entire evening you know the only time that's accepted and this is in fact a good lead into because the only time say in that context an alcohol free beer becomes acceptable is if a a severe consequence has already happened you know so like i i I used to work in a pub you know and stuff and and the only men that uh drank alcohol free beer uh that um uh nobody kind of went in at them about were men that had just kind of had liver failure or, mm, okay. or some big scare so or we're banned to... from driving okay. <laughs> you know through... you have to get you have to reach the extremes before you're legitimately allowed to not participate in what everyone else yeah. is doing yeah you yeah. know but because then there's perceived oh that's that's a valid excuse and mm. even then they'll still try and be like you know what are you doing? go on mm. have one one mm. car you know one one mm. one you know so it's like no i'm pregnant sorry no. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well i'm not but well, no no but <laughs> no, no <laughs> one but... one might be yeah um, and that yeah and it's so it just it, you know it's about kind of cultural those cultural messages and values influence mm. inform identity and it goes back to those notion of performances and i and i notice it because like i moved to plymouth to kind of get away from a lot of that you know i kind of wanted to uh, go it on my own for a bit and that's completely okay and a completely valid decision to make and equally you know staying and becoming the best version of your yorkshire man self is also completely awesome you know kind of and i um kind of you know it makes me think of uh jeremy clarkson's farm you mm. know because uh i don't really uh advocate for jeremy clarkson but the the kind of lad he works with mm. in it um i think it's called Cadus. I, I can't quite remember his name i'll just mm. google it but um he is a tremendous tremendous lad you know he's so beautiful and he's so knowledgeable and he's so lovely and he's, you know, he he's, he talks about how he, he's not left his county, and you know, and there's a really funny episode where Jeremy sends him to London, you know, and he's he's having an absolute nightmare of the time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of a nice. Um, but I spoke of that notion of you know sometimes sticking with those cultural messages and values can, mm. you know, it's not necessarily a negative. No, not thing. at all. Like sometimes it's like putting your stake in the ground and being like, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not doing the trend of development. Yeah. I'm not yeah. doing this 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 thing that everybody is like 
saying you have to do now. I'm, yeah. I'm, being like, I'm from somewhere. I'm from here. Yeah. And, yeah. and we go back to that conversation at the beginning of the yeah. old ways and mm. kind of the old values. It's like, look, I might not understand all that fancy gender theory stuff, mm. but mm. I'm real and I'm mm. honest. Yeah. And yeah. if you need help, yeah. I'll come and help mm. you. Exactly, yeah. You know, and yeah, there's yeah. something really rich yeah. about that. Yeah, really authentic. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So, it's, so how did you find moving to Plymouth then? Because... Yeah, Plymouth is quite an interesting example because we've got a very strong naval presence. Yeah. Um, it's the home, essentially, of British colonialism. Mm. This is the place where the Mayflower 400 set sail. This is the place where um, Sir Francis Drake um, instigated the slave trade. Yeah. Um, so those images of war and of masculinity in that regard are perpetuated mm. throughout Plymouth quite heavily mm. obviously there's been a lot of work recently about how to reframe those stories mm. since 2020 there was the mayflower 400 um, yeah. celebration and it was all about getting the indigenous perspectives um but still the imagery in plymouth is quite is quite war driven yeah um and the vibe as well <laughs> so yeah how have you found like it was interesting well you know the it's a beautiful point a beautiful example especially in terms of like toxic uh, unhealthy masculinity is you know as soon as I told my Yorkshire brethren that I was going to move to Plymouth to study a degree the very first thing they said to me without even hesitation was that I was going to go get bummed by a Navy sailor you know okay so, you know, like, oh, you know, they instantly jumped on that notion of Navy, mm. associating it with a place of homosexualness, okay. you know, mm. and, you know, so it's already presents a, a kind of mm. great idea of um, a great, sorry, representation of toxic cultural messages and values. Coming to Plymouth was interesting it was very because this is when i started to uncover you know that like oh yeah everywhere has its own kind of manifestations of what you might call you know like problematic identity and blah 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 but um the navy culture was really prominent and present particularly you know kind of uh you know you're a student you go out you know you find yourself around union street you know um you certainly notice, as you said, the difference in the the tone and the vibe, um, mm. and it's 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 always been really difficult for me, and especially like for me now, going on nights out is very very difficult because of the things I've studied, um, and so like I can see, you know, like I say, a lot of these navy people might be having a blowout uh, walkabout or whatever. You know, I can kind of see that a lot of them are in a lot of pain, you know, um, and some of the conversations I've had with them are just so ridiculous, <laughs> you know, so insane. Um, uh, I don't really know what to say, mm. really, other than it's a specific version of unhealthy masculinity, mm. um, militarized masculine identities 
infamously renowned to be riddled with elements of toxic masculinity for obvious reasons. They're trained to kill and the training processes they go on uh, are specifically designed to break them down and build them up into what they want from them. You know, and, you know, we, today you're going to be digging a hole, you know, and you're going to dig a hole until we say stop. <laughs> you know which is very revealing and, <laughs> and any person would probably come away from that not 100% great mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and i i train in brazilian jiu jitsu and um there's a lovely company coincidentally run by uh or funded or facilitated by tom hardy um called re reforge reorge and it's um it helps kind of uh, veterans, um, I guess, rehabilitate uh, through Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Because the other side of it is, you know, they do all this wonderful training. They go away, they, you know, go to battle or perhaps not, you know, to us uh, tricky, tricky things. You know, they might not always get the narrative they went there to do, you know, or they might find encounter what I encountered, that idea of, oh, this is not a performance anymore, <laughs> you know, and, and they'll probably come home with a lot of things they need to unpack. and But then they're also just, you know, dumped back into the, the what they call the civilian world and are just, you know, told to deal with it, basically. And, and then also like, oh, no, you can't do half of those behaviours anymore because that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. you know so it's mm-hmm. just a cacophony of difficultness yeah you know emotional landmines yeah yeah wow okay so um let's hear a piece of music awesome yeah let's let's yeah. hear part two of your choice so we've spoke a lot about kind of my narrative and the conclusion of my research masters is that i am done with my narrative I'm sick to death of worrying about my own unhealthy masculinity or, you know, like making it about me. Mm. Mm. From here on out, I've kind of, my objective is to worry about everyone else's, you know, I'm interested in everyone else's narratives um, and particularly from underrepresented and marginalised groups, you know, kind of disabled narratives of... uh, of unhealthy masculinity or kind of, uh, you know, race backgrounds and kind of uh, trans backgrounds, you know, so and homo, you know, and homosexual backgrounds with so many kind of rich, again, tapestries and narratives out there to hear and learn from and appreciate. And so for my kind of final song, I've decided to go with Nobody Knows by Loyal Kana. Um, it's a nice jump off the Black Lives Matter movement that we recently went through in COVID. And for, for me, Loyal Kana is a really great representation of an artist who isn't afraid to make work about his emotions, his journey through life, and um, claim that ownership about him sometimes not being great but also all the good stuff he also does uh, and goes through Mm. and so yeah this isn't my narrative this is loyal Karna's narrative Mm. and i i just love to hear it Mm. amazing thank you charlie 
We listened to Nobody Knows by Loyal Kana. You can check out the full song on Spotify. Whoa! Wow. That was wicked. <laughs> Great song, oh, right? That was so good. <laughs> I mean, it just sort of speaks for itself, doesn't it, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, kind of says everything yeah. you need to know, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and that's one of his new ones as well. That's come out very recently. Amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. What's it called again? It's called Nobody Knows okay. Loyal Kana. Yeah, great. Yeah. And I could I could speak about that song, you know, yeah. for, for a, a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah. You know, it kind of, it really hits me about that idea of isolation. You know, mm. I've been like... I've been asking mm. <laughs> for ages and none of you are actually listening to me, mm. you know, mm. so I'm just kind of going to do it myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And I like that. What was that line about, like, or are you just a man? Something like something, something. Yeah. Or are like, you really just I, a man? Are you lost or mm. are you just another man? Mm. Yeah. You know, which yeah. is nice. Because, again, there's a classic thing around... Um, Every man is an island. Mm. You know, it's an old artistic thing um, that, you know, every man thinks himself to be a lone island floating in the middle of the ocean and no one's there to kind of help him, you know. But this kind of lovely... There's a, there's a lovely uh, song by Jesper Just uh, called No Man Is An Island, you know, and it's about breaking down that idea of like you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's thousands of men, <laughs> if not millions. <laughs> you know, are going through the same thing. You yeah, know? yeah. That's you're it. not alone, and like, I actually uh, for the first time visited um, the charity Andy's Man Club mm. on Monday, and their slogan is "It's okay to talk," and it was just a tremendous experience to go there you know there's no judgment and it's just handing a football around and just being given an opportunity to get whatever it is you need off your chest and it's just listening there's no commenting or judgment unless it's like a positive reinforcement and so yeah Mm. And it's those spaces. It's Crumbling Rocks Theatre and 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 companies and charities like Andy's Man Club that are really pushing the way forward. You know, you're not an island. You're not alone. Mm. You don't have to be alone. You know, we're yes. here for you. And, yeah, and yeah. Oh, it's such it's such an inspirational vision, mm. and I really love how you've gone through it. Mm. You've gone through it all, mm. and and you're here now with this this current project um is there anything else you'd like to speak about in regards to crumbling rocks like the kind of the layout the structure the formation like what age range you work with yeah definitely thank Mm. you Mm. um so we're kind of building at the minute we run um one class a week on a thursday and that's 7 p.m till around 8 39 p.m and that's at Oxford House Creative Hub in Plymouth. Uh, we have social medias and websites and we can link all that up. Um, and there, that's just kind of a general theatre makery class for 18s and above um, to taste acting, stage combat, theatre making. I'm just trying to build up boots on the ground at the minute and try kind of start building a community. 
Um, I'm starting to work in conjunction with Andy's Men Club to try and make it as like a referral process. Um, but as we continue to build um, and I continue to get everything off the ground, um, you know, we're going to be going into schools. We're going to be making theatre projects. Um, I do private one to one classes for those that need it. Um, you know, I'm here for you. You know, so if I can, if I can facilitate what you need, I will do. Amazing. So, yeah. Amazing. Cool. Thanks for giving us that, that lowdown. I mean, we're really excited to, uh, to keep in the loop and see how it develops as well yeah. as it moves forward. Um, is there, is there other networks and organizations that inspire you in this line of work? Yeah, there's loads. Yeah. There's loads. I'm not uh I'm not an island. Mm. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not an island. Um Lovely. the first one is, you know, that is catching tremendous steam nationally is Andy's Man Club. Mm. You know, they've got um you know, they've got one in like pretty much every city now. Mm. So, you know, you've got Plymouth, Manchester, London, you know, Scotland, there are there's all around and you know, there's there's hundreds of men at each one of these locations attending, you know, which just gives you an idea of how many men need to talk, you know, and how not alone you are. Hmm. There's Andy's Man Club. There's a band of brothers. Uh, they do some awesome stuff. Um, they kind of set you through a journey. So Andy's Man Club is about talking. Uh, a band of brothers is about kind of going through a ritual slash journey, you know, climbing a mountain or whatever to kind of forge bonds and kinship and learn some really wonderful things there. They apply some nice masculine theory to it, a bit of Jungian, a bit of uh, Iron John stuff. Um, there's Voicebox, a company I've worked for. They kind of go in schools um, and they create a lot of uh educational opportunities um around unhealthy masculinities we just did a i work with a project them to kind of educate teachers around um incel culture um and kind of uh, help prevent that um there is a lovely project called the smiling boys project um he's a chap you can spot him he does a really he wears a wonderful clothing and he goes into school and works with predominantly black male children um and he basically just photographs them smiling because there's a stigma in you know, kind of like masculinities that, you know, you can't smile, you've got to be cool and and, and so he works to un pin all of that um so that's just a few off the top of my head and there's so much more out there mm. continuing to build and it's just a case for you know if you just search for it mm. it is there there's mm. loads of us or support lines and things like samaritans you know and 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 lots and lots of kind of support networks out there so the first step is kind of about figuring out what you want. Like, you know, do you just need to talk? Go to Andy's Man Club. Do you feel like you need to kind of climb a mountain? Go to Band of Brothers. Do you feel like you need to make theatre or finally write that song or do that dance or write that poetry? Come to Crumbling Rocks, you know? Mm. Um, so it's kind of Beautiful. figure out what you need and then find the organisation and turn up the hardest step is the first step in through the door 
I'm, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation and that it's yeah. recorded. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, what you just said there. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is beautiful, and I'm so glad yeah. that you've you've got that 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 net those networks and they're thriving, mm. and that and you can mm. speak about them. Thank you. Thank you for having me yeah. and facilitating this conversation. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, it's been amazing. It's going to have to be split into two parts, which is just great because it just means even more time to share this wonderful conversation. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's, I think it's been a pleasure. Yeah, an absolute pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. And I look forward to hearing it um, on the radio. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you. All right, we can find you at Crumbling Rocks Theatre, Instagram. Uh, Facebook yeah Facebook Instagram and website and if you need to email me that's charlie.conforth at crumblingrockstheatre.co.uk amazing thanks Charlie thank you bye